There have been so many calls, even at my house, wanting to know how Bobby's doing. So she she broke her ankle in, in a couple of places. We all know that. And uh, I know that she's gone through a lot of pain because that type of injury, you really can't do a whole lot. She can't do anything. So, so uh, one of the uh, relatives from... Uh, Oklahoma came. My niece Andrea is coming every other week to help me yeah. with them. Now, is she, is she's, she's not driving. She's riding in the semi, right? It's, well, he's got a truck and a trailer, and he has a hauling business. Uh-huh. So she comes here, and on the weeks that they're here, he gets jobs to haul stuff around here, Georgia, Kentucky. Okay, and you've been pitching in also. Yes. It, it, it takes... It takes a village. So. You know, uh, Larry's got to be made of, of, of stone because oh, yes. it, uh, things really bother him, do they? Some people say he's made of vinegar. And vinegar. Yeah, <laughs> so he's, um, he's handling it well. He's having to step up because literally everything has to be done for her. So yeah. it takes a lot. It, it, it's hard on both of them, but, but uh, I put in a a good word for them every night I before I go that. to bed, I and they're that. they're special people to me. She, I appreciate that. She's determined to vote, so we're gonna. She hasn't voted yet. Well, we were gonna go the day of surgery, and they called us and wanted us there at nine o'clock, so we didn't get to go that day. So oh she's my. determined. So we'll get her in the wheelchair and we'll get her down to vote. So. Well, bless her heart. I know she's a trooper. Yeah. So. Thank you very much, hon. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for taking care of my other stuff, too. You're welcome. Well, Darren Gore. Yes, sir. Um, you have a lot of responsibilities at Merceboro City. And uh, I was thinking about you this morning when I got that uh, red light that I couldn't get through. I sat there for five minutes at that little roundabout. And why that thing can't get right, I'll never know. But but my my buddy had already fixed it at one time. Has somebody been up there fiddling with it? Well, I don't I don't know. I can find out though. Uh, we I know exactly who to go talk to about that situation if I you think, need me to. I think yeah. somebody heard you not being nice and hit the longer light button is what I think. Well, I almost got run over the last time that you gave me advice, Ronnie I'm Martin. Sorry. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Yeah, you you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have had another radio show to go to. Well, I you know I think that people you know can make their own choices and good yeah. judgment, and I think you being having a background in law enforcement, you know when to do things and when not to do things. So yeah, I try, but I, I used you. to have a blue light. I don't have that oh, blue yeah. light. Well, anymore. that makes a difference. Yeah, it it does. Uh, <laughs> Darren, uh, kind of give me a little bit of a background. Uh, you are the. Assistant, is that is, yes. that, is that mm-hmm. correct? City right. manager, correct, and, and that's a big responsible job. And I didn't know that Murfreesboro has grown so much that we needed two city managers. <laughs> I, th- two, that's two amazing. I, I just two, two assistant city managers. We've one got city a, manager. We've got a city manager and two assistants. Right. Big city. Oh, there's a lot going but, on. But you don't have duplicate uh, job. No, no, that you have to take care of. No, no. Well, I, I, so. When we restructured back in 2018, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of folks like myself became kind of more of an executive uh, department director where we oversaw several departments, but we still had to maintain our own department. So mm-hmm. there was no duplicate. So you kind of got more responsibility and oversaw more more activities in the city, but you still had to maintain your day job, so to speak. So. That's kind of what happened with me. I, I was the, uh, I've been the director of water resources since 2012. That's a tough job. It, it can be. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues associated with water quality and, and uh, sewer and sewer treatment and mm-hmm. stormwater. So I can geek out and get technical with you there whenever you'd like. But the other components of it was. Um, so, so I'm doing that day to day, so to speak, and then I got more involved with the solid waste department mm-hmm. and uh, the electric department while we while we still had an electric department and the airport. Yeah, uh, we've since kind of restructured even a little bit more. Uh, I'm dealing, but my, mainly I deal with operational issues and service delivery issues and streets and public works and and those kind of activities. So, um, I'd say I spend. Two-thirds, three-quarters of my time as the water resources director and the other quarter to a third of the time dealing with um, 
dealing with other departments, streets, mm -hmm. uh, solid waste, landfill issues. Uh, one of our biggest things, limb and brush, I got, I, I got worked over pretty good last year on our brush and limb uh, services when we weren't picking them up. It was we were somewhere between four and six weeks each time we would come and get good the curb. Night. Yeah, and so people were more used to that twice a month thing. So yeah. it, took, it took some effort to get us back to a twice a month uh, service delivery on on curbside pickup of brush and limb. And right now I'm working with another group. We're looking at putting in an automated waste management uh, system, which is putting cameras on the garbage truck so that we can count, uh, take photos of if of if carts aren't brought out to the curb a lot of times people will tell us they had their cart out at the curb and we missed it and uh we don't really have a way to prove that or not and not that we're trying to uh, you know call anybody out but we need a system to start uh, identifying uh when people don't have their curb their carts out of curbside and then if we have to go back there may be we may have to charge something to go back mm -hmm. um so we're looking at implementing that on our uh, entire fleet of solid waste vehicles. So I'm working on that right now. We're about to get that pulled pulled together. So those are the kind of things I, I deal with. I've got I've got something I think is important. Can I can I talk or are you sure are it's you important? I think so. Okay. 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 All right. One of the things that uh, Darren has been such a great valuable resource to me is as far as sort of the institutional knowledge of why we do what we do in the yeah. city of Murfreesboro and. You know, um, we're the only municipality that uh, offers trash service uh, in Rutherford County, and um, there's a reason for that, and I think a lot of people don't understand that. And so when we got into this discussion, you know, a couple of years ago related to uh, property tax increases to fund services, uh, a trash fee to uh, help recovery for what it costs from an operating standpoint, um, you know, for trash pickup, um, like for Darren to talk a little bit about, you know, um, why we're in the trash business in the city of Murfreesboro, why other municipalities, Smyrna, Laverne, and Eagleville are not, how that ties into what he does at the Water Resources Department, and maybe what some of the challenges are going that we're going to have to deal with related to the landed uh, mm -hmm. landfill issue. So, Darren, talk about tipping fees and leachate and uh, <laughs> life lifespan yes. of the landfill. Wow, this this could get me a deep rabbit hole here. Uh, so I'll, if just cut me off if I get too too long-winded. So the curbside delivery uh, or pickup of, of garbage, that's just something that from a legacy, that's just something the city's always done. Mm -hmm. um, we've had free tipping fees at the landfill for the past 20-plus years, probably going on 30 years. And that was a, a, an agreement that was entered into because the city took what's called leachate and well i'll tell you i'll tell you what the old ed harlan the old murray county executive called it he called it garbage juice mm -hmm. so it's basically when the rain hits the, the goes through the landfill garbage there's an underdrain system that collects it mm -hmm. and transports it to a treatment facility and then it pumps it to our uh, wastewater plant which we now call our water resource recovery facility mm -hmm. so uh in exchange for us taking that leachate and treating it the city and the county receive free tipping fees. So you take whatever garbage we've sent to the landfill, the county and the city over the past 30 years or so uh, mm -hmm. has been, you typically pay a per ton price of what you dump in the landfill. Well, the county and the city have paid zero. The mm -hmm. only costs that we incur are the collection system. You know, we're running a fleet of vehicles and payroll and personnel costs and benefits costs. So we have to, we do have a cost there. What, do you know what the total amount is for that particular uh, situation as far as the whole garbage thing? Yeah, so trash pickup and all that. Yeah, so we're somewhere in the just off the top of my head um, around six million dollars annually. Wow. Yeah, and that's where we've priced the. We recover most of our operational expenses with that seven and a half dollars per month per mm -hmm. per customer for yeah. residential. Now we charge commercial a little bit, a little bit more. But we're not quite to the point that seven and a half dollars doesn't pay for new capital equipment. Let's say if we got to build a transfer station, we have to build some improvements, or we have to buy these, these you know, uh, uh, garbage trucks cost a quarter million, three hundred thousand mm. dollars, and so we can't, we haven't quite. The fee doesn't really support buying those big expense capital 
items. But we do yeah. co recover most of our, our uh, you know, fuel, personnel, maintenance of vehicles, our operational expenses we cover. So, so it's been good, and that was part of my part of my role was to try to create a user fee, so that the the, the city's tax uh, revenue, or the, what we call our general fund revenue, mm -hmm. did not support what we're trying to consider an enterprise solution. So, you know, mostly, if you go hire a private, you, a lot of folks, Myrna and Eagleville and uh, Laverne. You can get garbage pickup, but you pay a monthly fee for that service because the city, their city. Is it comparable to what you charge? Oh no, they're 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 in the in the probably the thirty dollar plus wow. a month range. Yeah. So we're we're very inexpensive compared yeah. to private. Um, now, what will change that um, is if we do uh, the landfill closes, we no longer receive free uh, dump mm -hmm. uh, or tipping uh, fees. And now we've got to haul it to another landfill, so that's going to increase fuel and manpower and fleet costs. Um, and then when we get to that other landfill, and it may be as far away as Camden, uh, Tennessee, mm -hmm. 100 miles one way, uh, we're going to, they're going to charge us on yeah. a per-ton basis, anywhere from 60 to $80 a ton that we dump there. So all of a, then all of a sudden that $7.5 is very uh, inadequate. Yeah. And it needs to be more in that twenty-five to thirty-dollar range, and so, so you know, you try to message that and, and let people understand that that while the landfill is is a nuisance, and and, the, and I know there's a lot of complaints about the landfill being located here in Rutherford County, there will there will be a cost associated with taking it to a, another landfill, and it could be it could be substantial. So, you know. I always tell everybody there's this balance I try to look at. On one side, there's sustainability. We mm -hmm. always talk about being green. We all want to be good stewards and environmental, environmentally conscious and, and, and kind of try to generate as least, least amount of waste. Or if we do generate waste, we want to get rid of it in the most responsible fashion possible. But there's also an affordability side of this scale. Mm -hmm. You can be very, very sustainable. It's going to cost you quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. Because you just can't get you can't get rid of garbage cheaper than burying it. That's the cheapest way you'll ever get rid of garbage. Bottom line. So if you are really more on that side of affordability and you want to keep your rates as low as possible, you're going to want to bury it. If you got money to to spend and you want to do a waste of energy or you want to do some type of uh, recycling mixed recycling facility and try to recover all the as, as much of the garbage as you can and, and reuse it beneficially uh you're going to have to pay for yeah. that so it's just a balance we try to strike do you, do you think the people in murfreesboro understood that when that uh, that uh, five or seven dollars was was put on their garbage cans because it, it was when Murfreesboro, uh, with the Murfreesboro Electric and all the other things, and mm -hmm. and and uh, uh, people, the, the the big tax that 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 hit them at the same time. Everybody was relating that to to the situation that they were going through. Uh, do you think we did a, 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 a an adequate job of explaining that particular situation. We're, we're still explaining it right yeah. now. Well, man, I made some great powerpoints, and I, I talked. You really them. did. You really did. But well, you so, were so, you, so, you were. So. You, but thank goodness you've got a lot of people listening to that yeah, right now. Yeah. Well, I I, I don't know. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the, the public has to judge me as to whether I'm. Uh, communicating well, then they're not really not. judging you. Well, I mean, you know what they, I'm saying. They look at the city as a as a whole when when these type things happen, right. and a lot of times they don't know who to go to to really get the answers. Right. So, so we had uh, I presented to the to the uh, council a very strong pro forma. I did a 15 year try to look at a 15 year pro forma of this is what happens if we go solo as the city constructs our own transfer stations and we have to drive to Camden and this is what the cost will be and this is what our fee is going to have to, we'll have to escalate our fee year to year. Mm -hmm. And that's still, I think, on our website. And then I met with the county and I, did, I actually did it kind of 
I almost acted in the, as, a, as a consultant for the county, and I went through and did a 15-year pro forma for them. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at if we combined forces and did a county authority, um, how much savings that would, what would generate. So I, I feel like for the decision makers, I did a very strong job of communicating the future, I'm what, the, sure what, the, what the future yeah. could, would, would hold for us if we went independently or if we went together, if the landfill stayed open or if the landfill closed and we had to haul it. Now, as far as the general public, I don't, you know, I don't know. I didn't really have stakeholder meetings, I guess. I didn't yeah. really invite folks. And I'll be honest with you, typically when I do have stakeholder meetings, um, I'm going to go back way in the vault here, back to 2007, 2008, when we started the stormwater fee, I was actually involved with setting up the stormwater fee, mm -hmm. uh, that $3.25 that everybody. So I may be the, the luckiest, uh, the only person in the <laughs> in the history of the city of Murfreesboro to set up, set up two, two of these real popular fees like uh, stormwater and solid waste. But we invited a lot of the public and a lot of – we had actually invited the top 200 uh, – these were going to be commercial institutions. There was going to be a group. We invited them to come so we could sit down and, and go over how we established the fee and the, the rationale. And I think we had maybe five or six people show up. You know, so, I've, so I've never understood that. People can get so angry over something that's yeah. a simple thing and, and then not bother to go to the sources. Yeah, so, so we really didn't do that. Uh, as much we tried to push it out now that social you know 2007 social media was not as prevalent as 2020 or 2018 i, I wish it still wasn't <laughs> we got some brave social social media warriors don't we, we do. yeah but they don't show up <laughs> well it's hard nose to, to nose it's it's hard to, hey listen it's it's hard to say things uh nose to nose that otherwise can be said over over the wire but so and i get that so so but we tried to push that, all those PowerPoints and all those presentations. And we, yeah. I think we did a good job from that standpoint. To be honest, if we'd have had a lot of stakeholder meetings and invited the public to come in, I, I don't know if we'd have had that much participation. Just based on my experience, I don't think yeah. we'd have had that much experience. I think when you're on the airways, like uh, we are right now, uh, you and Ronnie and myself, uh, I think people like to they can relax and listen to it mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and, and make it a lot easier to know what's going on. You're, you're right in the middle of two of the worst things that can happen as far as city growth. You, you, you've got the, uh, the, the trash problem mm -hmm. and then you got the water problem. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, how long are we going to be able to take care of the large population as it continues to grow with water. With water. So so I'm going to we'll talk about water, mm -hmm. which is pulling water out of the lake and the rivers to use it for drinking purposes, and then yeah. I can transition over to Our, once that water is reused and it's yeah. flushed down the drain and the sewer and where do we get rid of the water is a different. So and how safe it is. And how safe it is. So, yeah. so I tell people this uh every time I get a chance, is that we do not have a water volume problem. Percy Priest Lake is plenty big enough to, to get us water for the next 100-plus years. Yeah. The problems we end up with is it's more of a bureaucratic problem with the Corps of Engineers. We've got a water supply contract. And quite frankly, it may take an uh, – they, they create – they allocate the water in the lake. So mm -hmm. certain water is allocated for – or certain storage in the lake is allocated for flood storage and water quality. And they give us a certain amount of volume to use for water supply. So it's almost like they, they and, and quite frankly, in order for them to increase at this point that volume for water supply, they would have to go to ask Congress to increase the, the storage volume. How crazy is that? Well, it's, 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 it's frustrating at times because you think water supply should probably be the highest priority, priority of anything. Yeah. You're, you're talking about life and growth. and um, But so I tell people, we'll work through if the time, we'll work through those. I mean, we'll go to Congress. If it, if it gets, if it gets bad enough, we will go to Congress and ask them to, to change uh, uh, that storage pool. Mm -hmm. uh, for water supply, and I think we've got all a good, a very good chance of that happening. 
right now we've got enough for the next 20 years that we've worked out contractually with the Corps of Engineers. So we, we're not going to run out of water. Let's mm -hmm. just put it that way. That water is going to support the growth of Rutherford County for, for a significant amount of time. And we'll work out the contracts and the, and the red tape issues uh, as we as we need to. That'll just be part of the part of my gig, right? For as long yeah. as I'm here, or I maybe it may be my successor, I guess. Hopefully, I can get it worked out to where I can retire. I like that. Like you're planning to stay for thirty years. That's a good thing. Yeah, I don't know about that, but anyway. Uh, so, so that really, we don't have a natural resource problem. We've got a contractual red tape problem with mm -hmm. the water supply and, and it's not a problem it's a challenge and we can overcome it and we have overcome it here recently on the on the flip side though the the, the real deal and I, I tell i kind of said this to the home builders association and some other stakeholders when we were talking about our uh, sewer allocation ordinance that we mm -hmm. that we uh, issued or that we got passed last year uh, with obviously council's uh, approval we can upsize pipes we can upsize pumps for, for collecting sewer, mm -hmm. uh, the stuff you flush down the drain, and we can upsize our plant. What we can't upsize is the West Fork Stones River. Mm. The West Fork Stones River is as God uh, created it, and yeah. man can't make it bigger or wider or deeper. Uh, so that, at the end of the day, is the issue. And, that, and that's not to interrupt, but that's where we discharge. So as the water comes in and we use it and then we yeah, push it down it. a drain, treat it, it goes through a treatment process and we put it back in the Stones River. And so that's what Darren's talking right. about. We can only put so much water in the river based on size, capacity of the river, that kind of thing. And you, and you monitor that all the time, all don't the time. you? Yes, sir. It's a very, very critical function. Uh, the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation issues us the permit mm -hmm. to discharge into the river. And they tell us how much we, of, of, uh, we'll call them contaminants. And I, I, it's hard for me to call it contaminants because right now I'm making the case. It sounds bad. It sounds bad because yeah. it's not really contaminants. I, I, I am making Do the you case. drink out of the faucet? I will, yes. See, I, I, I do I too. I, I don't uh, get water from any other source. Except by the faucet, yeah. and I was just wanting to know, oh, know yeah. how much longer I've got. <laughs> well, that's you're back on drinking water, so yeah, we can, yeah, we, yeah, 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 tap yeah. water. Yeah, this effluent. I'll drink see all water. of those things. Uh, <laughs> I think of them as mixing together. Well, at the end of the day, that's what happens, right? Yeah. So we discharge to the West Fork. It goes to the lake, and then we pull it out of the lake and use it for. So you kind of have this closed loop system. Uh, mm -hmm. You're just relying on dilution. To, to to take care of the issues with the with the wastewater discharge or the effluent discharge. So I'm making the case with TDEC that the effluent that we discharge into the river is actually cleaner than what's currently in the river. And that is a total paradigm. I hope so. Well, it's total paradigm change yeah. because in the past, and you can even go back even to the late 90s and look at Murfreesboro, and what we were putting in that river was not good. Mm. It was before our plant expansion in 2000. If you look at what we were putting in that river, our water, our effluent was not good. It was harmful to the river. And that's just 20 years ago. So when you start trying to go to your regulators and say, hey, we've created such advanced treatment at our, at our plant now mm -hmm. that we have flipped the script, so to speak. We are now putting in cleaner water than what the river currently has in it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of regulators can't wrap their mind around that because they've been in, ingrained over their careers that, no, 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 you can't put something. What you're putting in there is bad. It's, it's a contamination. It's, it's, it's hurting the river. And when I start showing in the studies, we do a, not to get, again, not too far down this rabbit trail, we do a macroinvertebrate assessment, bioassessment. Mm -hmm. What that means, quite honestly, you go get a net, and you go find these riffle areas, and these are these shallow areas where there's rocks, and you got some some nice little, and you go kick the crap out of these rocks, and all the bugs get stirred up, and you catch them in this net. Mm. And you take the bugs, and you go into the microscope, and you look through, and you identify all the species, uh, all the, 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 the range, the number, the, the total count, mm -hmm. and you get a score. And so I'm taking a T-deck that right out, right just downstream of our outfall, mm -hmm. we've got the best 
macroinvertebrate score on the river. Wow. And so then you say, you the, the bugs, they want to be. They, lo- they love <laughs> they the love water. our effluent. They yeah. want to be by our effluent. And and you can tell that it did, they're scratching their head like. How, and so we do this every summer, and we report our scores to TDEC, and I'm using that as as kind of a justification or a foundation to say, hey, we need to be allowed to expand. If we are having these kind of scores in the river, this is proof positive that we're helping the river. And so that's, again, that's a, contrary to maybe the way things have worked in the past. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to find minds that can kind of wrap around that and are willing to work with Murfreesboro on expanding the plant. Uh, and letting more discharge into the river, uh, and that's difficult. And that's part. Of, that's probably one of the hardest things I'm trying to do right now, is work with our regulators. Yeah, you, you think about it. That's kind of a scary thing. Mm-hmm. But what in the world are you utilizing the chemicals and everything to make it cleaner? I will tell you, we're not using any chemicals. So None at no, all. No. So what happens is, and I'll give you the the. I'll try to do the kindergarten version of, of wastewater. I need treatment. kindergarten. Yes, please. <laughs> well, it's about as advanced as I get <laughs> some days. We have a screening mechanism. So when the wastewater first hits our, our, our plant, we mm-hmm. have screens that take out all the inorganics, the Doritos bags, the stuff that got flushed down the toilet, all the wrappers and garbage, let's just call it. Then... It takes all that inorganic material out, and then we go to a microbiological process. So mm-hmm. all these are are bugs, and they take the ammonia, and they take the waste um, that's associated with our with our uh, what we flush, and they they decompose it, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. They take out the, so the bugs actually make the ammonia, uh, you know, nitrates, nitrites. It, it basically takes stuff that can that is toxic to the fish in the streams, and it breaks that down into non-toxic material. Well, Do you check the fish, and does anybody ever go and, and check the fish and see how uh, healthy they are, or are they being contaminated at all? Well, we've done a, we did do a fish assessment, kind of yeah. like we're the, the bugs, what we call them. So this is the the typical. When you go down and you look at the macroinvertebrates or the bugs, mm-hmm. that's fish food, right? Yeah. So if you've got a lot of fish food, you're typically going to have a lot of fish. Mm-hmm. Now, we have, in the past six years, one time gone out, and you can take, and you got to get it permitted, but you can go take a, an electrode kind of deal, and you shock the fish. Mm-hmm. You drop them, and they float up, and then you can count the fish. So we have done that in one particular instance. And so the fish are fine. Now, we don't take the fish and cut them up and go run samples on the fish mm-hmm. um we just count to make sure that there's a lot of fish and that there's a lot of species of fish and when we yeah. see that and we count that then we say hey we're good uh i don't know if if anybody goes out and here in the well so so getting back to the process and i, I may talk about the fish more later we uh once you take through and you break down those contaminants into non-toxic uh, material. Mm-hmm. Then you go through a clarification process, and all that is is it takes the water and the, the solids and liquid separation. So you have these big, huge clarifiers, and it just drops the solids to the bottom. And then you take the water. We used some chemistry. We used to call it the supernatant. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they call it now, but that water gets pulled over, and then we filter it through mm-hmm. sand filters. Then we run it through a ultraviolet disinfection. We disinfect it. Then we add oxygen, we blow oxygen into it to get it very highly oxygenated. Then we we send it to the river. Mm-hmm. So we never add anything to it. It's a microbiological process and then a solids-liquid separation with disinfection, and we add basically air to get the oxygen content up. You know, one thing is I, 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 I do a lot of things by the looks like most of us. And uh, uh, Percy Priest... When they opened that up, they did not clean it out at all. I mean, they left the fence, fences in there and everything else. I can remember people 
actually getting caught up in those fences and actually drowning. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, over yeah. the years. So, But you look at Percy Priest and, and go, say, 100 miles uh, east of here and go to Dale Hollow Lake, and there's a whole world of difference in those. I mean, they're just as clear. Uh, Dale Hollow, we used to go take baths in Dale Hollow Lake. Of course, it was cold, but yeah, but exactly. we we still would do yeah, it because yeah. it was so fresh. Yeah. No way in the world I would do that yeah. at Percy Priest. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Percy, per, and, and when you go back and you read the uh, the original reports mm-hmm. that that they said that Percy Priest water quality would not be good because... Yeah. The Stones River just doesn't provide enough throughput. A lot of those other larger, clear lakes, you've got a lot of water that moves through them, and it mm-hmm. keeps it doesn't it doesn't sit there. And we use the term "go eutrophic." I mean, it doesn't nutrient. If, if you've got what happens with Percy Priest is you do have a lot of runoff. You got a lot of agricultural runoff. Yeah. There's a lot of nutrients that get, get get introduced into that lake, and then when it's summertime, and the you know, the Stones River is a trickle, mm-hmm. so it just sits there and it cooks. Yeah. It uses those nutrients, and that's when the algae comes in, and that's when the, the, the uh, just just the water doesn't doesn't have enough turnover to keep it in that clear. It flushed. It doesn't get, it doesn't mm-hmm. get flushed enough. That's a good, yeah. good word to use. So, um, But they knew that when they built that lake. Mm-hmm. You can read the original reports back in the 40s and 50s when they were talking about it, and they pretty much said, hey, this is not. This is going to be not a very uh, good uh, quality water lake. Mm-hmm. But what's so that's why our water treatment plant is so uh, advanced because so there are days that that water's uh, during the summer that it's it's uh, it's tough to treat. You got to go through a lot of processes on the treat. Now we will add chemicals on the on the drinking water side to, to coagulate. It's usually just alum or ferric sulfate to drop things out and get all the mud out of the water and then mm-hmm. we run that through same kind of thing we've got membrane filtration now and then we run it through a uh, basically a granular activated charcoal it's almost like a charcoal filter murfreesboro's water you could almost say is charcoal filtered is that healthy <laughs> well it just it takes out the taste and odor oh okay yeah it's just uh it's just like yeah uh, media that takes out taste and odor we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Darren Gore and, of course, Ronnie Martin. Thanks, sir. You're a nat- you're you're a regular. Well, I, I just like the pressure of not not having to answer questions constantly. Yeah. Dar- Darren's answering all the questions. So that's great. Yeah, I saw you grimacing. All right, yeah. we'll be right back in a second. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. At Bud's Tire Pros, they care about those who live and work here because you're a big part of what makes this place great. This is Kay Mitchell at Bud's Tire. Come by and see us at Bud's Tire, 3600 East Main Street, or call 896-TIRE. They will be here through the good times and the uncertain times. For those who are out on the road, stop in today to see their full lineup of Michelin tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin has a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, they're essential. They're open. They're local. Visit them online at BudsTireProsTN.com. We at Ferret Construction offer a 24-hour emergency service. Whether your shingles are blown off your roof, you have a tree on your roof, or if your whole house flooded, we offer a 24-hour emergency service. That's why it's important to shop local. They're your neighbors, and they take care of you. We're family here at Ferret Construction. We care about you. This is Ron Hall with Ferret Construction. Call 615-893-6120. That's Fair Construction Company. Adams Place is a premier senior living facility in Murfreesboro. Our residents say the chefs at Adams Place run the area's best restaurant. Call us at Adams Place and arrange a tour today. Adams Place Residential Living Director Terry Deal. Offering independent living, assisted living, memory care, health care center, and on-site rehabilitation. Adams Place is at 1927 Memorial Boulevard. Now's the time to start teaching good financial habits to your children, and we're here to help. 
Hi, I'm Nancy with Heritage South Community Credit Union. Our chipmunk and squirrel saver accounts help your child learn how to save and reward them for regular deposits or good grades. Our team cash accounts help your team learn to manage their money wisely and have options to build their credit. To learn more, visit our website, HeritageSouth.org, insured by the NCUA. Now, an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. Rutherford County High School seniors wanting to apply for the Tennessee Promise Program need to apply by Monday. Tennessee Promise Program provides two years of free tuition at any Tennessee community college, as well as a handful of four-year universities. There are no income or GPA requirements, but you must graduate from a Tennessee high school to be eligible. Half a dozen drive through COVID-19 testing sites are being planned for this weekend by Tennessee's Unified Command Group. The two Middle Tennessee locations will be at the Smith County Ag Center in Carthage and the Wilson County Fairgrounds in Lebanon. Testing scheduled from 9 o'clock Saturday morning till noon, but the sites will stay open till everyone in line receives a test. By the way, the tests are free. A new report released by the Tennessee Department of Economic and Community Development highlights jobs in high demand across the state, including occupations in finance and technology, headquarters, automotive, and distribution and logistics. A Labor and Education Alignment Program report calls attention to occupations that are strategically important to the growth of the state's economy and to the state's expansion and recruitment efforts. With two county high schools on distance learning due to a high number of coronavirus cases, the district is reminding parents at those schools that free lunch is available during the closure. All students 18 and under are eligible to pick up free meals at any school location. Parents simply need to call the school location where they want to pick up the meals and place an order. You'll find pickup times and other useful information on our website, wgnsradio.com. And State Senator Kerry Roberts back at home to continue his recovery from a brain aneurysm. After some additional bed rest, the senator is expected to make a full recovery. When news breaks, we tweet it. Follow us at WGNS Radio. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Hey, fellas, I want to encourage you to take care of your health. It's easier than you think at Low T Center. They're reinventing the doctor's visit, making it quick and easy to get all your levels checked, not just your testosterone levels. They offer a comprehensive health assessment so you know all the numbers important to your health. If you've been tired, grumpy, have lack of motivation and drive, or if you've noticed weight gain or loss of muscle mass, those could all be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center will help you determine the cause of your symptoms and will help you get back to feeling your best. It all starts with their quick and easy health assessment and is covered by most health insurance. Low T Center's concierge medicine, exclusively for men, and now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatments, providing convenience and additional health monitoring measures for your safety, including a take-home blood pressure monitoring cuff. Self-injected home treatments are just $135 a month for self-pay or covered by most health insurance. Schedule your health assessment now at LowTCenter.com. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Good neighbor weather. We'll see periods of showers and storms here this afternoon with cloudy sky conditions high around 70 degrees. Winds out of the north between 5 and 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 63. Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes. For Premier Six Theater, they're now open. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And we're back, and you know, I, I always knew that you had a plant behind over there at Riverbend. Right. Because there was certain times when you guys were putting out perfume to, to, so that it, everybody was so happy over there at one time. <laughs> Well, I'd say in the past 20 years, well, let's just say this. Yeah. Since I've been with the department since 2005, I have not had any odor complaints about this particular plant you referenced. Now, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier. Because people are wearing masks now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got, well, yeah. You're yeah. right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so prior to that, 
and I, as I mentioned earlier, in the late 90s, uh, mm-hmm. we were not putting out good stuff. And so I can see where when you're not treating the water really well, there's probably going to be some side effects like odor. So mm-hmm. I would say uh, in the late 90s, I would say we may have had a lot of – I wasn't here, can't, so I can't say. But since I've been with the city, uh, we've got Oakley and Riverbend right by it. And mm-hmm. I go ahead and just tell you without a doubt, in the last 10 years we haven't had an odor complaint. Yeah, that's a good thing. I'll mention this too, and, and Darren deserves a lot of credit for this as well. Um, as you can hear in talking to him, he's got a lot of skills uh, and, and is a great asset to the city. But, you know, uh, Representative Brian Terry has um, been very involved uh, because his district kind of wraps around the, the landfill. Um, and so I think he deals with a lot of landfill complaints, odor complaints. And over the past month or so, maybe last 45 days, uh, Representative Terry has been, um, I think, increasingly convinced that some of those odor issues were related to our water and sewer system, or sewer system specifically. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, Darren has been very responsive to that. Um, he has, you know, put um, actual, you know, live people uh, in, in the right places to evaluate that at certain times of day to make mm-hmm. sure that, you know, we're, we're being responsive and we're being responsible. Um, we're, we're tracking that data. We're keeping, uh, you know, records associated with, you know, reports of odors and where they're reported and those sorts of things. So, you know, um, it, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, we're not as a city, I think, going to say um, the obvious, which is obviously when you have a landfill, there's going to be some odors associated with a landfill. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Darren didn't take the approach of, you know, hey, it's it's all the landfill. If we think there's a potential for us to have an issue in the city, we're going to take that seriously. We're going mm-hmm. to, you know, do the work that we're supposed to do and, and make sure that we can put ourselves in a position to say, hey, it, it's not, you know, the, the sewer system. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not in a place, you know, today where I can say 100% convinced, I'm 100% convinced that there's not an issue or never going to be an issue. But what I am very convinced of is, you know, we're doing everything we can to make sure that we identify any potential issues so that we can source those problems and treat those problems. And, and Darren's led that initiative too. But, again, from a leadership standpoint, to, to approach those problems head on very openly, very honestly, share that information, try to solve a problem, I mean, that's, again, just another thing I think he does especially well. And, uh, and you know, we are in a county that has a landfill, and, you know, there are going to be odors from that. That is going to happen. Um, but... Um, we're, we're doing our part to kind of circle back to what you were talking about, the, the odor complaints there. Anytime something like that comes in, we take it very seriously. Darren takes it very seriously. And, uh, you know, w- one of the benefits of having a sewer system uh, is the convenience and growth and the density that that, that sort of water treatment, you know, allows. Mm-hmm. Um, no system is going to be perfect 100% of the time, and, you know, we see that. But... You know, I've got a tremendous amount of confidence in, in Darren and what he does in our water resource department to make sure that, you know, we're, we're being responsible about that and responsive. Now, do you keep a kind of a time schedule working with each one of your department heads? Because I know that you probably have a lot of trust mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. each one of the department heads, but every once in a while things will happen uh, maybe employee relationships with the supervisors and things right. like that. Do you keep an open door oh, sure. for those type things? If if, if a uh, employee has a a particular problem, has tried to work all the way up through their chain of command, and they feel like that they're just being left out. Sure, sure. So, um, not to 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 get into an overused uh, maybe term, but the servant leadership model where you, I try to provide everyone with the resources they need to get their job done. Yeah. And that's my role. Now, when you're striking a vision or a path forward, I think the leader needs to, to be at the top of the pyramid and say, hey, this is where we're going. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. But once you start go heading that way, you flip that pyramid, right? Now, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, the leader is saying, okay, what do you need to get to get us there? We, I, we, we've started down this path. We know where we're headed. Now, my role turns from 
maybe the, the visionary more into a chief enabler. How do mm-hmm. I get you what you need? And and a lot of that is is letting employees know uh, that you got their back. They they're not going to work hard for you if they don't trust you or mm-hmm. they don't believe you're doing things in their best interest or that you don't care for them. So this is when it gets into the soft stuff. This is where an engineer like me gets into the, you know, we say the the, the soft stuff is the hard stuff, and that's dealing with employees and trying mm-hmm. to deal with personalities. But what I'd let everybody know is, hey, I'm here for you. Uh, I do like expect you to go through the chain of command. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just you don't want to undermine your supervisors. Yeah, that's normal. That's normal. And then, but if at the end of the day you've got a problem uh, that you don't feel has been treated fairly or has not been resolved, uh, come to me and I'll talk to you. Now mm-hmm. I'll tell you this: I have had a lot of people come to me, and I I, I think of uh, employee complaints in three categories. There's gripes. Right. And then mm-hmm. there's complaints and then there's grievances. Mm-hmm. Grievances is there's been a, a violation of the employee handbook. Yeah. <laughs> and you can cite chapter and verse on what's mm-hmm. problem. A gripe. Eh, you just I, I'm going to say, look, you're going to have to work that out. That's just called dealing with, with. complaints. I tell you, know, somewhere in between a gripe and a grievance. If there's a chronic problem that keeps rearing its head, I'll start to investigate mm-hmm. those a little bit more than, than uh, maybe. But I've had some people come in and gripe to me, and I said, well, you know, you just have to work it out, and thank you. So I try to classify it properly, but anybody can come talk to me any day about anything. Yeah, and, and in, in a way, you take a lot of pressure off of the elected people because that, uh, I can remember years ago and probably way before Ronnie, that uh, if, if somebody had a problem, they would go to one of the elected people because yeah. they felt like that they would get a better ear uh, during that time. But it, the logical way is to go through the chain of command, and then uh, uh, when they go to you, mm-hmm. then it, it, it becomes a little bit more, maybe more important to them. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to say that they don't still some, – some employees don't still go to the elected officials, mm-hmm. but I, I hope that the elected officials understand that yeah. their, their, their role is to govern yeah. and to d- develop policy and city law. Mm-hmm. Management functions such as dealing with employee issues, I would expect the council to point to that person and say, look, you're, this, is a, this is a management function. You need to work it through your supervisor and through mm-hmm. the – the city manager's office if it rises to that level yeah um because that's really not a council's role uh, to deal with management functions but during budget time is it the department heads that uh give their budgets directly uh in, in the meetings as, as with the city council yes well the, the yes the city department heads pull their budgets to you we have a budget director now Erin mm-hmm. tucker and so all those things funnel through her and she compiles it and, and not to say that certain I mean, certain asks by a department head may not be granted just based on budget constraints or, mm-hmm. or revenue constraints, but Erin uh, uh, pulls all that together and sits down with each department head and then kind of collectively, uh, once that, that, that body of work is assembled, we go and present it to the council as a draft. And so all the departments are there. And they know what they've asked for, and they know what's been cut, and they've mm-hmm. all uh, we're all on board. Uh, on uh, they're just there to answer specific questions should the council have it. Mm-hmm. But but really, we've got a kind of the main architect is uh, is Aaron, and of course Craig. Yeah, I've, I've always noticed that the budget director, which we we've had good budget directors through the county system mm-hmm. for many years, but they're more concerned with the money situation than actually uh, what you're going to be able to accomplish during that particular budget year. Right. And, and, and when we're talking about uh, major things such as uh, the law enforcement system uh, that's going on, uh, uh, anything to have to do with emergency services mm-hmm. and those type things that are so critical, and usually I, I, I notice that most department heads usually do a good job of explaining that Mm-hmm. Now, w- when it comes time for the services, which one do you guys look at more? The services that are going to be given to the the government community, the city, mm-hmm. uh, a- a- as you're dealing with, and when the money becomes a problem, what gets priority? Well, uh, 
I would say um, public safety always has kind of a prominent role to play, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, those services to protect the public mm-hmm. always, I think, garner more attention mm-hmm. and more study and more, you know, uh, thoughtful yeah. uh, approaches. Obviously, solid waste and picking up garbage and delivering clean water and clean, you know, collecting sewer and, yeah. and those kind of things are are, are important. Yeah. I think if you look at the past, the prioritization was the money, yeah. and we had to just fit what we could into the money available. Now, I'll say in the in the last couple of years, and I know this wasn't popular, but we finally had the tax increase that said, look. The services should have been the done serv- earlier. Yes, it should have been the services should be the priority, yeah. and we need to figure out we need to get the revenue in place to support the services. Mm-hmm. So, I think we've had a little bit of a shift in that it was the money, the money, the money. Now it's hey, the services took priority, and whether the public agrees with it or not, it required a tax revenue adjustment to, to support the services that we can deliver. Now, you would say, and I would agree with you and Ronnie, of course, that the city of Murfreesboro gets a lot of bang for its buck, doesn't I agree. it? I agree, yes. It, it, it's amazing how efficient you guys are. And, I, and uh, I give you a lot of credit. I give people like Ronnie, who is elected uh, by the citizens in, in Murfreesboro, to actually go out and have a good relationship with you and a lot of the other people that are able to provide that efficiency and that service in the city of Murfreesboro. Right. And, and I think that's essential because Murfreesboro is, is well, it basically it's exploding right, right now. Mm-hmm. So how much longer are we going to be able to operate at this level, do you think? Well, I think... Um Again, our sewer system and our uh, sewer allocation ordinance is going to have somewhat of a cooling effect on growth just because we were never, the sewer system was never designed for the type of densities Mm -hmm. that we've seen over the last, say, uh, eight or nine years. Um, So I think this is just me talking. So so we're going to have infrastructure constraints Mm -hmm. in that regard. So there's going to have to be some type of the shallowing the, the slope of our growth to some mm-hmm. degree because just because of it, it's not because of a desire to do that. It's just more of an infrastructure constraint. Um, so if we can work out the plan expansion and we can work out, uh, um, you know, the things with our regulators and we'll be able to, we'll have another 20 or 30 years of, of good prosperity. We're just in such a great location in the state, great location in the continental U.S., mm-hmm. uh, that I don't think we're going to, to I think we're going to continue to, to see good economic, uh, socioeconomic benefits through growth. But uh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm rambling at this point. But Let me ask you a question. Uh, downtown Murfreesboro, mm-hmm. I, I think this the center of the city downtown Murfreesboro has to always have the quality of life Uh, and and I remember I was fighting with the attorneys downtown because I wanted to move a lot of the uh, legal business out of downtown and put it in other areas to eliminate a lot of the, uh, the, the people not being able to uh, drive through Murfreesboro, you were just constantly being blocked in. You could, it was hard to travel through there. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, how can we keep it such still a great place to live, the downtown area, and make sure that it's not interfered with by the continuing growth uh, inside the city? Well, I, that's, a, that's a big question. And I can honestly say I don't know if I've necessarily thought through a very uh, comprehensive uh, response to that. Other than I think, you know, we did allow for that area to 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 have an um, more sewer capacity. We we've got the central business district um, and the city core overlay that mm-hmm. we've said, look, we want to incentivize bringing people to the center 
of the city to to for walkability purposes yeah to keep traffic you know people we want people to walk downtown uh, and enjoy that type of uh, environment i think our downtown is out, outstanding it's beautiful it's, it's beautiful and it's got such a good cultural mm-hmm. uh, history and just mm-hmm. such a good good feel right just yeah. that, that 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 feel to it so i know that we talked it's the um, the synergy the first uh United Methodist, United Methodist site, site yep. you know, and I know that's that some people may may or may not be in favor of that, but I think that's a that will be a big linchpin when that development finally occurs to to create. That Is there type. even a time limit on that right now? Because there's still a lot of questions. Yeah, I don't I don't know where we're at with that. I know that COVID has created, you know, it is it has shook things up to the point where a lot of folks have backed off and maybe hit reset. So I'm not sure exactly where we are with that, but uh, I do know that that's it's still it's still out there, mm-hmm. and I still expect it at some point in the future to to, to coalesce or to, to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be farther down the road than we expect, but those type of projects, I think, if you can if you can blend in those condominiums and that that type of uh, uh, Hotel. Yeah, the hotel and, and, that, and create that kind of excitement and mm-hmm. old, old 80s term synergy, right? Mm-hmm. Create that mm-hmm. type of, of, uh, of situation. Then you can, you can and, and maintain the appeal. You know, don't, don't, uh, you want the architecture and, and all the elements of the d- new development out there to be, uh, to blend mm-hmm. so that it still has that same feel. But create, put more people down there so that they can create more foot traffic, more shopping. Less car traffic. Less car traffic try to create you know more walkability uh, that's that would be what i would you know i think that's the vision uh, without being a planner or having had a big discussion with anybody but ronnie's nodding so maybe i'm well i live close. i live downtown so of course you know i moved you, you you are what i would consider a typical downtown resident who who loves that historical atmosphere and you walk to work a I lot do. of time mm-hmm walk to city council meetings, walk to planning commission meetings. And, you know, I, I think the thing that I enjoy about it most is it, it feels more like a community to me mm-hmm. than any subdivision, I, it, really any other house I have lived, ever lived in because, you know. You people s- sitting on the front porch will wave at you and call you by name. And- hey, I come out sometimes and people sitting on my front porch. And so, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's just a reality. Do they have your sofa in their hands? And- no, no. But, you know, okay. I've got a stoop that comes – kind of down off the front porch yeah and there are people hanging out there and it's really amazing how if i lived in a subdivision you know whether i'm in a fifteen thousand square foot lot or a five thousand square foot lot and somebody was on the sidewalk in front of my house it would it it, it strikes you very differently mm-hmm. than when you live downtown and you're surrounded by people all the time and you come out and somebody's i mean my house probably sits 15 feet from the road from the street Mm-hmm. And so when somebody's on the sidewalk, they're probably literally 10 feet from my front door, which feels pretty close, right, mm-hmm. until you're in that urban environment and everything is close. You know, the the place that you go to work is close, uh, where you get your coffee is close, so on and so forth. And it's very much like living in a community. And so I think, you know, my, my vision of, of what you're talking about would be, Activity breeds activity, and mm-hmm. so the more people we can pull downtown, the more investment we're going to pull downtown. And if we can get, you know, kind of an early adopter to come in, and we talked about the, the United Methodist site, you know, I I know just a little bit about that just because of I hear it. I haven't seen the, the plan revisions, but, you know, I, I'm in the banking business, so it's not lost on me that um, hotel financing is more challenging than it used to be, that there's probably not a lot of money out there, not a lot of capital chasing hotel developments. But why not? Uh, well, because they're fifty percent full, and so that revenue model. I mean, you're, but you know, you're looking at a different animal. Well, I mean, I'm arguing the benefits of having it. To yeah. be clear, um, and, and so I think the the issue is, you know, can the developer get financing uh, for that project? Because you know, unless you're going to pay cash for it, you know, you, you got to have somebody to lend you the money. And banks are just not real excited about saying, hey, I want to lend you millions of dollars on something that may only be 50% yeah. utilized. And so and, that's part of the challenge. And I think the hotel component of that development may be a future phase at this point, too. I'm, I don't know that for sure, but that may be a situation where, hey, 
come in, bring in the, the, the units, that can, the, the condominium or the units, and then uh, wait for the hotel until maybe times get better. I wonder how uh, the condo units and the hotel would be able to live together. That's that's something because you're 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 kind of invading a uh, community a little bit by doing that. But yet, um, the people that I would imagine coming in would probably be people who who love and they want to uh, maybe experience right. the, the 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 community, the history of it, and and uh, they may have. Uh, 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 the kids that were maybe going to school here at, at MTSU or or whatever, but uh, I, I agree with you. I think those condo units downtown, especially if you're at a price point, let's just call it two hundred or less. I'm not going to say you could sell an unlimited supply of those because you know at some point everything changes mm-hmm. supply demand wise. But you could sell if you had 150 of them, you could sell them as fast as you had them built. I'm convinced of that. Yeah, so. I know someone that that lives in Washington mm-hmm. that uh, you know who I'm talking about. Yes, sir. Said that uh, he would move his family here uh, once that's completed. Yep. But I think I think when you bring the headcount to downtown, um, you're providing more attractive opportunities for businesses to invest capital, to put capital at risk, mm-hmm. to say there are enough people in the downtown urban core that will support my business. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's you're always balancing this thing with rooftops and the support of commercial enterprise. You're always balancing that. And, you know, we had uh, uh, last week, um, and, and I was in favor of this project, but, you know, we had that large development um, at the Avenue that was mm-hmm. a mixed-use project that, you know, um, I thought would be great. I was in I was in support of it, but the council voted not to do that. And you know, it's over legitimate concerns we have in the community related to you know traffic and you know the impact that a dense envelop uh, a dense development has on a on an adjacent community. And so when you're when you're pushing commercial development up against rural residential development mm-hmm. you know that's clunky it's it's not easy for people to say hey you're building a city you know next to my backyard um my you know my personal opinion on that would be that's exactly what that was designed to be um not everybody obviously shared that because we, we didn't do that but mm-hmm. um but you know i think you know we're always going to go back to this conversation of you know density in one place in my opinion like downtown is not the same conversation about density on a 50 or 100 acre parcel out in the county where you're stretching resources out you're stretching those things out the two are not the same and so we would use the same term terminology it has to be a certain type of density to be a positive thing it does we've seen so many times especially in the major cities where it turns out to be just a nightmare that's right which is why planning is so important i mean to me that's the equalizer right so how do you plan it? What are your what are your infrastructure resources? Which is ultimately what the council wasn't comfortable with on that that avenue project. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's, um, we'll we'll learn from that experience, and we'll continue to get feedback from you know the community, and and we look back to what could we have done differently to make sure that we take advantage of opportunities like that because. Not every community gets an opportunity to have a large national developer to come in and build, you know, invest the kind of capital uh, that was going to be invested there. And, you know, basically we as a city said, no, thank you. You know, we, that's not what we want. And and it's not as simple as that, but you can't ignore that piece of it either. So, you know, what is it? what signal does that send to other people wanting to make investments in Murfreesboro related to, where are we related to growth? Where are we related to infrastructure? And like Darren was talking about, we, we just got some limitations there that you know we got to figure out who we're going to be. Well, ten years from now, I'll look down from heaven and say, "What were they thinking?" You're doing that now. You yeah, don't have to wait ten years to do that. <laughs> Darren Gore, it's yes, so sir. good to have you, and I'm glad that Ronnie brought you over here. Ronnie Martin, you're always a lot of fun. And, and this has been a fun show. I mean, you can talk government all you want to, but you can make it uh, yeah. really interesting and, and, and a great conversation piece. Yeah. It really is. Well, so I appreciate you. Thank you. Well, like I said, try to, I, I try to bring some private sector mentality 
uh, into the public sector. I, I, I'm proud that I spent my first part of my career as a private sector uh, working as a consultant. So I just uh, I want government to be as small and as efficient as possible, yes. just like everybody else. Yeah. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thanks for the Me invite. Me too. And and uh, Jan Stewart, uh, she was she was still here, and we we want to say hi to Bobby and Larry. So. All right, guys, we'll see you in the morning at 9. Thanks, Drew. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.